It's week two of Beyond the Pew audio. That's version. right. Good morning. And, um, Good afternoon. Good evening. Yes. <laughs> yep. As you say. Mm -hmm. And um, we're here on Spotify as well as YouTube. YouTube, yeah. Uh, as well as... Um, Not iTunes, but on uh, Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Someone told us we were dating ourselves as being old last yeah. week. Because we, we say iTunes. iTunes. But uh, what? It's a throwback. It's a throwback. It is. And so we're here, though. We're excited. We are. We have some, uh, like we talked last week, we're going to be dealing with some hard topics. Yes. Uh, or not hard topics, ha or hard passages to in interpret. Yeah, what could be considered to be hard yeah. passages. Because right? there's different yeah. opinions, different interpretations. Varying opinions, varying interpretations on different texts of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And so we'll look at some of that. Uh, we're going to focus in really on one passage yeah. today. Because we don't want this to be All hours over. long. Yeah. Um, so we're going to look at a passage in a minute. But... We've had a lot of, I guess, discussions that have been um, happening, uh, both on social media, in the church world, outside even the church mm -hmm. world, in the news, about um, an event that's happening in Kentucky. Kentucky. Um, the Asbury College Revival, as some are calling it, and a lot of varying opinions and a lot of different takes on mm -hmm. what's going on. And so um, you're familiar with that, I'm sure. Yep, I am. As far as what's yeah. going on there. Um, you want to give a summary of that? For so it all, I actually meant to listen to the sermon. I listened to like a clip. Yeah. But there was a sermon, a chapel, I should say, last week or, if you, did, uh, you know. I think or, it's been almost two weeks ago. Yeah, now. close to two weeks I now. Think, yeah. A little bit over 10 days. Yeah. If not 10 days, yeah. Something, something, however long it was. Yeah. But there was a chapel that there was, there was a message that was shared, and that after the message was shared, that the students were so uh, convicted by it that they wanted to remain and they wanted to pray, they wanted to worship, and they continued to do that for the next following days, all the way till yesterday, I believe. Yeah, What's I think the it's last still, one? Still going on, I think. But I think, I think if I read right, they changed the location because this college asked them to. Change, you know, don't quote me on that. But by the time of this podcast, I think I read on Fox News that they were asking them to change locations because they outgrew the the space, but also because they wanted the college to go back to normal. Oh, okay. Well, now that's based out of here that yet. Yeah, it started on February. 8th. Nonetheless, but that's not the focus of it. The focus is is that it has been going on for. Few, Almost two weeks. It's yeah, February significant 8th. amount. I think the starting date was February eighth. Here we are, mm -hmm. the twentieth. Twelve mm -hmm. days later. Um, but literally, if you if you watch, people are coming from all over the United States, and I think even out of the country, like out of the country, like yeah. there's people from out of the country. Brazil, I know there was a group from Brazil this. being there. Um, heard a lot of people make comments about it, um, and even individuals. Um, my understanding, even from our area, that like mm -hmm. traveled out to see yeah. what was going on out there, and there Witness. are a lot of viewpoints and a lot of takes on that, mm -hmm. and so. Um, I thought we would just comment on that like, yeah. briefly just to talk yeah. about that as we kind of open things up here because it's right in the mainstream right now yeah. of what's going on. And the main thing people are asking is, is this really a revival? Um, you know, is this really of God, of what we're seeing happening there? Yeah. And how should we interpret? How should we follow uh, what's going on there? And so a lot of viewpoints. There's a lot of people who are all in. 
about this being revival and that God is doing a work and this is of God. There's a lot of people equally that are opposing it, saying, no, this is fake, this isn't real. They're it's questioning emotional, that the, God's yeah. doing something here. And so, and then you can imagine everybody in between, people who have no idea what's going on. So I <laughs> uh, just thought it might be helpful if we give yeah, just a little yeah. bit of so, maybe input. So where are you land, Pastor Bruce, Reverend Pastor Bruce Rosa? Yeah, so uh, there's a few things that come to my mind when I think about any time we talk about revival um, and and how we would interpret revival or, you know, if we would consider something to be revival. And so there's a lot of definitions that are given to revival. Um, but it seems like in a, in a general sense, when you see biblical revival taking place, um, you know, which revival talks about like renewing, it talks about um, once again bringing to fruition something that you previously have known or that you've understood. There seems to, to be a prevalence when revival takes place of um, repentance mm -hmm. of sin, of recognition of who God is, of really a, a clearer recognition of who we are and who God is and how should we should respond to God, and where the Spirit of God is using the Word of God to really transform the believer in Christ to a renewed sense of His presence, of His holiness, of His goodness, of His, you know, who God is and who we are. And so a lot of times what seems to be prevalent when revival has traditionally happened is there's the presence of repentance of sin, there's the presence of confession of sin, there's the presence of, uh, of a desired obedience to the commands of God, there's an exaltation of God and who God is, and it seems like when revival happens, that is something that sweeps within the church and, and moves the believer in Christ to, to really repentance, mm -hmm. obedience, confession, and, and service. Um, and so... You know that word revival can be thrown around yeah. pretty loosely a yeah. lot of times, and I, I wouldn't have an informed opinion about what's going on in Asbury College because I haven't been there yeah. personally to see it. Um, I know that from what I've heard, the message that was given at the chapel that kind of led to this was a message that encouraged um, the the people or the students that were at Asbury to you know basically demonstrate love and walk in love as they serve Christ and that there was a sense of necessity of repentance um but that being said I think there's kind of a clear cut way that um the believer should respond anytime something is being called a movement of God and it immediately makes me think of Acts chapter 5 with Gamaliel where the disciples were preaching the apostles were preaching about Christ and Christ crucified and risen and they were being commanded by the Pharisees and other religious leaders to stop preaching the name of Christ, so much so that they were thrown in prison, they were beaten, and they were being commanded this. And Gamaliel, who was a very respected teacher, mm -hmm. stands up in their midst, and he says, hey, listen, I'll summarize this. He said, if this is of God, you cannot fight against it, hmm. because you would be seeking to fight against God. That would be a great church and, name. Yeah, absolutely, right? And so <laughs> there's there's one of these things where... Um, I think that wisdom is there, and it mm -hmm. would be prudent for believers in Christ yeah. to pause and to look and see, okay, if this is of God, if this is of God, time will show that, and, and there will be fruit that will show forth this is a movement of God rather than a movement of man or a movement of whatever else we want, you want to call yeah. it. If it is of God, I think there will be fruit that will show forth yeah. that. Yeah. And so I think in some some regards, what's completely countercultural to the culture we live in, yeah. there's a necessity for believers to be patient, yeah. uh, to be prayerfully um, considering and, and looking at what is going on and say, okay, God, if this is of you, there should be fruit that would show forth that, and to seek to use discernment with patience as far as how we would go about 
you know, labeling or looking at these kind of events that take place. For sure. And I think that's, that's huge. But I think too, one thing that we have to be careful is like, like, I think it's interesting, you know, as most churches in the, especially in the U S have been praying over and over for revival to take place for the Lord, moving the hearts of our people. We would preach from the pulpit, you know, that it is the responsibility of our generation to reach each generation. That was a quote by Jack Worson. But that idea of like it is we have to in, in, instruct our students, instruct our, our our people to reach their people with the gospel because we got to see a revival. we got to see a sense, our culture that is dead because of sin coming to life with this message of the gospel. And at this first glimpse of seeing something like that happening, there is also this like movement to be so like like hesitant, like like wait a minute, you know we've been praying for this, but you know I don't see A B C things happening here, so sure. it's not truly a revival. Or this is what I would I have this idea of what I expect a revival to look like. Yeah. But also you know to your point, like if it is of God, if this is truly something that God is moving, you know the Lord will show us through the through the fruits. Like there's gonna be fruit of their actions. There's gonna yeah. be prove that the things that are happening are actually for the benefit of it. But to being careful, being so critical and so uh, quick to judge what is going on because it doesn't fit this mold or criteria that we sure. think of what a revival should look like. Yeah, and obviously if we're talking about revival or spiritual revival, that is at the hand of God, Yeah, right? If that's what we're referencing, that revival, that this revival is a work of God— then what is happening, what is being promoted, what is being taught, what is being participated in should not be something that is in opposition to the clear teaching and instruction yeah. of God's word, right? If God is at the center or the is the the one that is causing something to take place, then God is going to do this in in conjunction with and in consistency with his word, yeah. his character, his attributes. And so that's why I, I say I think it's wise and prudent of Christians to to pause and reflect and say, okay, Lord, if if this is a revival that you're doing, which God is certainly capable of doing it, fruit and 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 evidence of that will be seen in consistency with who God is, what his word says yeah. and who his attributes are, and in what follows, right? If yeah. this is of God who who can fight against God, right? Yeah. Um, if this is something that is of man and it's something that is not authentically of God, I think that would come to be seen as well. But yeah. I do think believers have to be careful on both regards. We don't want to be so quick to dismiss something that yeah. God may be doing as not of God simply because we think it's not. But we also don't want to be so quick to attribute something as though it's a working of God when mm. we don't know if it's a working yeah. of God. Uh, John Piper had an interesting definition and when it comes to revival, and this is what he said. He said, revival is the sovereign work of God to awaken his people with fresh intensity to the truth and glory of God, the ugliness of sin, the horror of hell, the preciousness of Christ's atoning work, the wonder of salvation by grace through faith, the urgency of holiness and witness and the sweetness of worship with God's people. I thought, you know, if you think through that, it's a lot. If you like rewind that, replay that, think through that again. Mm -hmm. Basically what what Piper is saying in this is there's like a a, a renewed sense of understanding and a renewed sense of awakening to who God is, what God has done and wants to do, and a stirring on the part of the believer to obedience to God in of worship of God and and, yeah. and revival takes place. And so I think that was that's helpful as we think yeah, about it. Yeah, it is really helpful. And I think that 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 the caveat that I will throw is like 
what it seems to be from what I'm seeing in social media and what I'm seeing a lot of people are commenting, commenting is that most people that have the strongest opinion haven't even been to that place. Sure. That they're coming with their own conclusions. They're coming with their own reasonings of explanation of things with them themselves going there in firsthand witness. Like, like I cannot give you a, a clear uh, explanation or a clear uh, no explanation, a clear uh, perspective of the events that are taking place there because I haven't been to there in person. Sure. I can only, like, assume, but for us to also be cautious of, like, listen, if you have not been there personally and see what's happening, yeah. you know, you cannot have a full, well-round perspective of what I, what is happening. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that goes with it, and I think this is something that can be dangerous as well, is for, and I've heard someone, you know, there's all kinds of YouTube videos of people who visited this, and they're giving their take, and I, I heard one guy that said, "Man, I, you know, I was in my my hometown, and you know, he serves within a church, and he was making a point of, you know, I've just been down spiritually, and and when I heard what was going on there, I thought, man, I have to go there because um, I need to be there and be there in the presence of God and be there in the presence yeah. where the Holy Spirit is, and and the danger is to think that an event can, can supersede, yeah. right." the presence of the Spirit of God within our own lives as believers and the presence that, that that we have with the Spirit of God and the power of the Word of God where God doesn't necessarily have to use an event uh, to show himself faithful and holy and good and gracious and, and present with us. And so I think there can be a little bit but of a But there's danger. also times in the t in the Bible where those t those things do happen. Like sure. you have the event of the Pentecost. Yeah. Like that was an event. I wouldn't call that a revival, but that was an event where... It was clearly well, shown the spirit that, of God was poured out. Yeah, was right? poured out into everybody, yeah. and you and know, obviously the huge separating factor between Pentecost and present is prior to Pentecost, you didn't have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit correct. of God individually in the life. But of every nonetheless, believer. it was an event that took place sure. that that you know it created it created that. Now it was yeah. a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but I think that you know to to. To not to 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 be cautious, both like you're saying, both the spectrums of the of the thing. Yeah. So to to look at it and say, could it possibly be a revival? Certainly could. Sure. Could it all be made up? Certainly could. Sure. How do we know? Well, if it is of God. Yeah. If it's of God, you can't fight against it. And I think yeah. that's where again, I think prudence, patience, giving understanding, measuring things against the backdrop of God's word, God's character, God's yeah. attributes. And, and using discernment in that is, yeah. is very important. And yeah. I think sometimes Christians can be guilty of so quickly jumping to conclusions about something that they really don't have knowledge about or seeking to draw conclusions or give an opinion about something that they really don't yet understand or fully yeah. know. And so we have to be careful on that. But what, I, what I would say, though, that I'm, like, excited about is, though, is, like, whether it's truly a reviver or not, like one thing is clear is that there is this testament of going out of, you know, the need for repentance. Like everything I've read, even in secular, like even in Fox News, the articles I read, like I said, like, yeah, it was a call for repentance and yep. people responded. Like the word is getting out of the necessity for us to recognize our sin, yeah, for people to recognize their sin and to be able to respond to that. And I love that, like, I keep hearing articles and I keep hearing from, from other places, seeing from other places, like, how there's been prominent figures from the Christian circle that have asked and requested yeah. to be part of this. And they keep they, they keep consistently being told no. Sure. That they just want our, the students to lead this stuff because 
They don't want it to be a, a, a showman Yeah, they type don't want it hijacked by yeah, like, people they, who they, want they, they want it to keep and, it yeah. as it is. So I, I, I love to hear that. I love to hear sure. that. Like, like the worst, worst, worst thing that could happen is that it has, it has caught the attention of our culture over our society, that there is an event that is happening where sure. people are responding, whether it's a legitimate revival or not, that people are responding to this call of God, to this call of recognition sure. of repentance of sin. And so I think that wherever you land on the sphere, I, I don't know how you can good pa get past of that. Sure. And so to summarize, if we ask, is it true revival? Don't know. I don't know. Ta I, I, time, yeah, time will tell. tell. And, um, and, we wanna, and, and obviously we're going to continue to pray, right, <laughs> that God would... God would do what only God can do. Amen. And, yeah. And in, in conjunction with His word, and He and will do it in a way that may not fit your criteria. Sure, doesn't always fit into our little box, but yeah. it will be consistent with His character, His word, mm -hmm. and who He is. Amen. Right? Um, because God's going to yeah. be consistent in that way. So, so um, moving on. That's that's current events. But if you have right? a question, um, email yeah. uh, Pastor Bruce Rosa, yeah. and he will talk yeah. you to more Pastor about the Steve revival. Bogren. I see Bogren. Yes, he uh, will be the Steve guy. Steve Bogren at NBC. He knows a lot. The question we end the episode with. Yes. Um, yes. But listen, we're today we're discussing this uh, topic of you know we talk about hard passages. Yes. And we today do. we're looking at Genesis six one through four. Yes, we primarily, are. which is the accounts of the flood Ooh. and. Um, Pastor Bruce, why don't you read it? Yeah. And then I'll give the three major overviews yes. or the three major uh, viewpoints of yes. this passage. So Genesis chapter 6, uh, the, the passage that we're looking at um, is specifically verses 1 through 4. But what I'm going to do, um, yeah, I'll just read verses 1 through 4. Okay. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown." And so, um, basically, there's two questions, right? Who, who, are, who the are the sons of God yeah. that took the daughters of men uh, as their wives? Uh, who were the sons of God that came into the daughters of man that took them and, and bore children to them? Who were the sons of God? Who was who being referenced yeah. there? And then the question of the Nephilim. The Nephilim. Who or what are the Nephilim, yeah. right? So three viewpoints. Number one, the view, this viewpoint it will define sons of God as angels or fallen angels uh and, and then they will define daughters of men as the descendant of adam the reason why they'll base uh they'll make that distinction of son of god is because they will look consistently throughout the old testament the only times that those words of sons of god is referred to apart from genesis 1, genesis 6 1 uh and 4 is uh relating to angels like angelical beings like they you look at the reference in, in at the beginning of the book of Job and towards the end of the book of Job, but also even with Daniel in the Aramic, it will talk about Aramic. Aram Hebrew. Ar no, I think it's it was a he Aramic. And Daniel. Daniel. Anyways. Yeah, the book of Daniel. You would. But have... that verse, I, th I believe. Anyway, that will be a whole discussion. Yeah. Whatever language it was written, the reference is specific to um, sons of God, sons of God, referring to angelical beings. And Correct. then the which will explain the distinction of daughters of men, making sure that you know the, the interpretation will be that they will be the daughters of men or descendants of Adam. 
and they will look at Nephilim. Now, there's two distinctions there. There's some that will look at Nephilim as superhuman beings that are the offsprings of the these two beings, you know, coming together and having, inter, you know, in relationship with them in, con in conceiving uh, superhuman beings. Uh, or there's a view that, that, that Nephilim has nothing to do with that they're, they're counterparts of, sure. the, of sons of the God and daughters of men. View number two, they will look at the sons of God as uh, aristocrats, like, like rulers, like powerful people at the time. And they will look at daughters of men as just common ears, people that were not of renown, people that were not important. Mm -hmm. And they will say that the Nephilims were leaders who were evil and that they lost it to make a name for themselves. Uh, that's what their, their their title. And then the third view is that the Son of God uh, are descendants of Seth, Seth being the the, daughter, the the son of Adam and Eve. After Adam and Eve, conce uh, conce uh, after Cain killed Abel, they, they were told that they conceive again, with an, which was Seth, and Seth was the one who carried that godly, godly lineage of, or, or carried the fate of Adam through the descent through his descendants so you have you know the descendants of Seth and then the daughters of men will be the descendants of Cain and that the two of them you know came together and and they you know they were being this you know not honoring God whatever and then they would say that the Nephilims are just giants so those are the three major views out of the three the most well embraced will be view number one and view number three that, yep. that those are the ones that people have the most conflict. View number two that the sons of God are are a rich. How do you say that? Aristocrat, aristocrats. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. common ears. There's that's not so much embrace, but it's one of them that it's there. Yeah, and so I would agree. The two most prominent views would be these are either fallen angels. Yeah. Um, that are referencing by way of sons of God, or that they are the sons of God referencing the descendants of Seth and the others. Um, referencing the descendants of of Cain so um where do you stand on this I mean the, these are the two yeah two viewpoints um and that are pretty you know they're very different from one another um so so this is why this is why I'm excited about this yeah. little segment that we're doing in the next few weeks is because we prefaced this last week by saying that the goal of this is as you are faced with this question that it will it will uh igniting you a desire to study the word of God sure and to examine and to dig deeper into what it is that you believe so had you asked me last week where i stand on all of these issues i would have had a very clear stand on everything that I, that I that i believe but as i have done more research in preparation for this episode i am clear halfway on what mm. i stand and on the other halfway i still got questions like i i'm i feel myself leaning in one direction but i don't know if i want to full put my foot there and then I have questioned another one, which I, I, I might put my foot sure. there. But over, you know, as a looking as a whole, I will lean in the view that the Son of God will refer to angelical beings, and the daughters of men will defend will refer to the descendants of of, of uh, uh, Adam. I will base this on the premises that you have the uses of that word, sons of God. It is used consistently in the Bible when it refers to angels. And uh, and I don't understand. You know, I will have a hard time believing that it would be it, it would change the the the, the terminology which is for this just particular verse. Like we will say that the best way to interpret the scripture is for a scripture to interpret itself. Sure. Uh, now, just clarify me. Who wrote Job? 
who wrote the book of Job. Yeah. Uh, we're not really told who the author okay. of the book of Job is. What is some of the, uh, some of the assumptions? About the book of Job? Yeah, who wrote it? I mean, I don't... I actually rather than like this point. Yeah, I mean, who who do you... Who do you I see? mean, there's some views that Moses wrote it. Yeah. And so... Well, it doesn't... Job doesn't identify it's an author. No, no, yeah, right? yeah. It's not yeah, written yeah. by Job. Yeah. But some will, will will say, some some historians will say that it's Moses. Now, sure. this is not an argument that I will solely base my belief in it, but if it is true, then it will also make sense that Genesis, who was also written by Moses, was also... He will use the same terms for those things. So... But that's my first where I stand on the sons of God and daughters of men. Now, when yeah. it comes to Nephilims, you asked me last week. Yeah, I would have I would hold the view, admittedly, that they are the the descendants of or the 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 the, the byproduct of sons of God and daughters of men having intercourse, and they will conceive Nephilims, which were in part superhuman beings, like. Like uh, demigod, if you want to put it in more of a term terminology like today, wow. just like individuals with extra abilities, I would have said. Wow! But I am now pushed back, and now I'm like in a position where I don't know where I don't know if I want to die on that hill. Yeah, I can also see the possibility of them just being counterparts of the nef of the uh, uh, the the two events are two different things. Sure, that as Moses is writing, they're referring to two different. Uh, people groups or events, yeah. whatever. Um, but it's a difficult one. Yeah, I, sure. I it, like I said, I even today as I'm doing this, like I'm, le I'm I keep, I have this tension of going back and forward. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, where are you at? No, that's interesting. Um, so, I feel, <laughs> I feel like it's important to understand, or, or really to give credit to the fact that both of those two major viewpoints, I think there are biblical reasons people hold yeah. those viewpoints yeah right so people that believe that these are fallen angels that's referenced by the way of the sons of god and people who believe it's referencing the the godly line of seth and the uh if you want to call it worldly or ungodly line of cain th there's reasoning behind both of those mm -hmm. viewpoints and so there's legitimacy to the arguments that are made and people are trying to base those arguments on scripture where I land personally, very similarly to where you are when it comes to the definition of the sons of God, is that that phrase or term, sons of God or son of God, is used five times in the entire Bible in, in, in reference to this. In each instance that it's shared, it's referencing angels or angelic beings, right? So you've already mentioned that the two here in Genesis chapter 6, it's mentioned in the book of Job when it talks about the intro to the book of Job. The mm -hmm. sons of God came before him to present themselves, and it's yeah. referring to angelic beings. Um, it's referenced again, I believe, in the book of Job as well. So a couple times, Job 1, Job 2, and I think Job 38. 38, yeah. Um, but then Seven. it's also referenced in Daniel chapter 3, which is when you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace, and they see a fourth that is like a son of God. Um, so... Again, referencing like an angelic being that's there. And so it would seem that it would be a rarity for this phrase, sons of God, to be referring to anything other than and, uh, some kind of angelic beings. And that's why yeah. I would lean towards believing this is referencing fallen angels yeah. um, or demons. And I also think that there's 
examples of punishment specific to these fallen angels that are shared in the New Testament in Second Peter 2. Which, which the argument to that would be, if I can play devil's advocate, yeah. is that they would say that it couldn't be sons of God, or they couldn't be angels because it talks about how they came into marriage in the book of Matthew talks about which i don't believe this i have a i have a a way that i will argue around this but yeah. they would say that matthew jesus speaks and says that you cannot marry that like that we will not marry just like angels are not given into marry sure in heaven yeah and i think that that argument would only hold weight specifically to if we're saying that the ones that were procreated the Nephilim were the procreation of the sons of God and daughters of men. That's in Genesis or Matthew twenty two thirty. Jesus said, "In the resurrection, there'll be neither we won't marry or be given in marriage. We'll be like the angels, right?" But that, to me, is a completely separate category than simply defining who are the sons of God in this passage. Yeah, but in the passage, it will say that they that they were, that. It says that they were married or that they were given to each other. Yes, and that's where I would hold the viewpoint: the sons of God, in referring to angelic beings is that these demonic and They angels, took us their wife, any that they choose. Yes, the demons, in my opinion, you know, possessed, inhabited, you know, the physical bodies of men yeah. um, and entered into this relationship with women. I, I Which don't, you see that throughout the scripture. You see even in the yeah, New Testament. Yeah, they possess like, individuals, yeah. animals, people. Where I would have a difficult time is believing that these demons or these fallen angels took on themselves a physical appearance independent of man and were able to procreate with women because I do not believe you see any scriptural reference or ability of demons to procreate, of angels to procreate. God mm -hmm. is the author of life, right? So I don't believe you see that given to uh, uh, the role or the function of demons. But that's also why I would, where you and I might differ, is... I would not see the Nephilim as being directly related to the sons yeah. of God going into the daughters of men. And because, and I shared this with you earlier, that it says in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. In what days? In the days when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. So it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. And so my kind of maybe controversial take here that I don't know that a lot of people share would be that I do not feel the Nephilim were a direct product of the sons of God coming into the daughters of men, because according to the way the text is worded, how I read this is that they were already there when this was taking place. It says that they were there in those days and after those days. Mm -hmm. And so if the days are referring to the days of Noah, pre-flood days, the flood is coming and then they're there post-flood after the flood, which I believe we see that present later on in the Old Testament when the Israelites are trying to inhabit the land that so was So you would believe that actual Nephilims were still present? Well, what are Nephilim? Like the very definition of Nephilim yeah. are giants. And well, so in the we, original language, it was fallen ones. Well, it was evil, but, but basically yeah. it was giants that were evil or that yeah. were doing extreme evil. So Nephilim, you wouldn't think that, and I'm not playing that as an advocate, yeah. you wouldn't think that after, if the flood eradicated, eradicated all of that, you don't think that that would also mean that plus flood, then there wouldn't be any way for Nephilim to be back? Well, no, that's why I'm saying if it's if it is the demons that are procreating with women, introducing, as you mentioned it, uh, a special breed of superhuman whatever, if that was true and God eradicated that fully at the flood, 
it does not give an explanation for future giants. Goliath would be an example and others that were in the land of Canaan that they were terrified of. It doesn't make sense that those could be produced yet again, independent of demons, you know, procreating again. Yeah. And, and that's where my struggle is. The passage says that those Nephilim were already present when this was taking place. And my pushback to that, my, yeah. the, here's where, because I'm in this limbo where I I thought I was solid ground, but now yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm, I am I don't know where I, what I, it's specific to the Nephilim. I know that for the Nephilim, the argument would be that they are the offspring of those of, of fallen angels. And, yes. And fem- That's what many people and, and, believe. Yeah, I, 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 I see that too because of what, you know they'll bring up Second Peter chapter two. They'll bring up Jude six and seven. That what it what it talks about. It seems to talks about this special kind of angels that that there were something that they did so horrendous that caused them to uh, to God to intervene with them that that in a way that He hasn't intervened with any other angels uh, fallen angels up to that point. And when you look at the context of especially the book of Jude. You see that I mean I don't know where other event has happened in the scripture that you can point point and say, yeah, that is where it's referring to apart, yeah. apart from the events of Genesis six. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So if that so the argument is if that's the case, you know they would say that the that horrendous event that they took them, which again they will even use their argument to which I would use an argument to to. Go against Matthew chapter two, where they will say that we're not given into uh, that 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 angels are not given Matthew twenty two, yeah, yeah, that they're not given into marriage. The thing the thing that they would say, and I will say this is the, the the criteria where it says like in heaven. So and then you go into Jude six and seven, where it talks about that these angels left their natural. Uh, uh, you know, form or their natural. How does it say it specifically? Do you have it there? I don't have the specific passage reference. I mean, read it, I guess. I should have had it. But what it talks about that that they have left their nature. Okay, here we go. It says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in the eternal church on the gloomy darkness onto the, the, the judgment of the great day. And then to even add a caveat about what they were doing, he says, Just ask. Solomon and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursue unnatural desire, serves as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal life. So there is certainly something that took place I agree. in that event. That's why I feel like when it says the sons of God, I do feel like it's referencing. No, but what I'm saying that, that they will follow the argument and say that such event created this offspring of, uh, super, you know, of, you know, the Nephilim. This unique type of individuals that you wouldn't see anywhere else. Yes. What what I would where I would disagree is I don't see in Second Peter um that you're referencing or the other passage you referenced about the the angels or demons that are in chains. Nowhere in either of those passages does it make reference to offspring. It makes reference to the fact that I believe the son I think it's further evidence that the sons of God are referring yeah. to demonic yeah. beings but my point is, in neither one of those New Testament passages where it references these fallen angels or these demons that are chained, in neither one of those does it make any kind of mention to offspring. And well, so, because because so so the argument would be if it is true that they had intercourse and that they 
had, you know, they participated on this sexual activities. Then going back to chapter 6 of Genesis, verse 4, where it says, you know, introduces the Nephilim, and it says, The sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These this were the mighty men who were of the old men of renown. That is where they will base that this is the result of the result of their intercourse, then is the Nephilim. Like that's the one that is hard to that is hard to deal with. Like how you go about, how do you explain that right there? It was hard. Now I agree that, and this is why I'm thrown. Uh, I, I'm in this pendulum, which I don't know where I stand because of what you mentioned earlier, where he says that they they these were around uh, uh, on the days of on, on, where it says those in, uh, uh, were on the earth on, in those days and also afterwards. Like that that phrase right there. Yeah. Like I don't know how. I personally can interpret that right now. Sure. But at the same time, I don't know how you can dismiss where he says, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Who are these children? And are they are they the Nephilim? They would, most people that hold that view will say that it's one train of thought and it's the Nephilim that they bore. Yeah, so I think the reference to these were the men of renown, etc., are referencing the Nephilim Yeah. that are that are present when well, you say Nephilim's were the the offspring of sons of God. And no, that's what I'm saying is not necessarily okay. clear to me because the passage says the sentence structure says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and afterward when when the sons of God. Came. So when this who, act who was taking children to them. Yes. So when this act was and taking, then he says these were the mighty men. Who were in the name the, the man of old? Yes, and so the the now. viewpoint would be the Nephilim that were already present, giants, evil giants, that did evil. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days when this was taking place. So my argument is, according to the passage, it sounds as though they're already there. So to say that the only way they came into existence was because there was special breed of superhuman whatever, because the demons impregnated women to me doesn't make sense from two fronts. One, well, then how were they already there before that took place? Because it says they were on the earth in those days already. Like it says, they were on the earth, and this is when. And then it also says, and afterward, right? So if it is not demons possessing evil men yeah. that would would you know engage in sexual activity with those that were the daughters of men or those that were humans, and and if it's not that, if it actually is literally fallen angels somehow procreating in and of themselves with a woman, then the question would naturally be, if the referencing you're making in Jude and Peter is that those demons that did that, they are in chains because of how awful their works were, then how did it also happen after the flood if the flood was eradicating that? Like, that's but, the but, question. But here's, here, and here's how they would answer it and how, yeah. you know— how I would have answered if I if yeah. I was so adamant about this view is that that afterwards is not necessarily referring to after the events of the floor the flood because he had what I, is it referencing that well up to that point he hasn't even addressed the flood yet no but it says in those days what is those days referencing well I believe that is in the days of Noah so I would agree so if yeah. it says in those days and then it says and afterward if in those days is referencing the days of Noah what does and afterward mean well I mean I don't know. I That's would what, think logically it would be after I, I don't the days know if of I, Noah. Because then it would imply that, and here, here, here's where I will have a hard time. 
Because I have a hard time with when I look at the passage in Numbers that talks about the ten, the twelve spies, and how ten of the spies came and says, and we saw a line of giants. This yeah, is giants what, in the land. Basically. The end of the lands. Yeah. I don't look at that as like, oh, they actually saw Nephilim, which some people will hold the view that it is. Like if most people that hold the view, if not all the ones that hold the view of like them being the descendants of Cain's and the descendants of, of Seth in a coming into relationship, they will hold the view that it is true. They were actually Nephilim. Whereas I look at that testimony as an, as a nice, uh, what is the word I'm thinking? As a, when you make something bigger than what it is, uh, what is that word, Pastor Bruce? Like hyperbole? No, like an exaggeration of oh, the okay, actual yeah, report yeah. that took place. And then, uh, because even in that report, like the, the first way they presented it, this is a t land of giant. Then Caleb and Joshua, they combated that and said, no, we can take this. And then they come back and say, well, no, they are the lands of the Nephilim. Sure. And then they say they're the descendants of Anak. Well, in the Bible, when you go back to the descendant of Anak, Anak there is, they, they get to put together with the Canaanites and all this stuff in the book of Deuteronomy, which you don't see them happening even prior to the flood. They yeah. are post flood descendants. Sure. So, I don't know how you can come, how you can logically or not logically, but come to the conclusion that they were actually referring to the same people groups that were actually there in the times of Noah. Yeah, that's I why I have a hard time. That's why I have a hard time about this. Well, I think part of it goes back to what would be our clear definition of the Nephilim. Yeah. Right. So my my take would be the Bible does not clearly define Nephilim as superhuman, demonic, demigods, as you mentioned. It doesn't refer... Nephilim but strictly means... But it doesn't define them as anything other... Like, yeah... They, it just that, means giants. Yeah, like, but, but it, doesn't, it doesn't define it either way. It's, it's interesting, though, to whatever yeah. point you hold on this, it's interesting that when Moses wrote this, he didn't feel the need to specify who the Nephilims are. Yeah. Because... Uh, to the audience, to the first audience that were reading this, they already knew. They would know what he's referencing. He would, they would know what they're referenced to. But the, the hard part for me is, again, not trying to read into Scripture. Yeah. Like letting Scripture speak for itself. The very term Nephilim simply does mean giants. And, and it is one of those things that, you know, someone could rightly say that Goliath could be, could be termed to be a Nephilim because he's a giant in the land. The, the ones that they spies that they saw giants in the land and they referred to them as the Nephilim that were there. They would say that there's Nephilim today, John Mean. They would say he, yeah, would, and be he would this. And he would be an example of someone that wouldn't even be to the level of like a Goliath yeah. or like some of these giants. Well, in the they'll land. look at someone like supernaturally tall. Sure, but that, that would I mean, be the question. if you stand next to John. Yeah, well, if I stand next to most people, if I stand next to most people, that's the case. But, I'm a Nephilim next yeah, to you. But it is interesting because you look at different, you look at the sentence structure, you look at the context, you look at things there, and you can see how there's confusion and people can come to some different interpretations. Sure. But to solidify everything, kind of bring things full circle. There's just, not a conclusion. Just for the people listening, there isn't a clear conclusion and no. people are varied in their opinions on this, but the prominent viewpoint that we've mentioned are there and what we would encourage people to do is, is study this passage yeah. study scripture and come to some conclusions and revisit it like like myself like i had a solid ground on where i stand and in in preparation for this episode you know you and i have had a uh, multiple conversations but even in yes. my own study and and research yes i'm faced okay what are the nephilims because there, there is a clear indicator like there is i think the, 
Netflix are clear are there for a reason. But yes. ironically enough, there's not a, um, a specific uh, description of who they are. Yeah. I, All there, we have is the sons of God, the sons of God, which you can tell that it was an intentionality there. Yes. And that, and because he could have easily just say, yeah, humanity. No, he put these two people groups there for a reason. Sure. And then he brings up the Nephilim, just this name. But who are they? Who are the Nephilim? Yeah. And, and just so people, like, for where I'm coming from, um, I did watch a video. It's like a 16-minute video on YouTube. Which I, I ended up watching it, too. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Peter Gentry, he was Great a professor video. at Southern Seminary. Mm-hmm. And he's currently, I believe, a professor at another Bible seminary. He's a um, professor of Old Testament. Yes. Yeah. Very knowledgeable, scholarly individual. But he has a video on YouTube that talks about who are the Nephilim and understanding Genesis 6. Um, much of what he says is like where my viewpoint would be. Yeah, which I would and, say, after watching that video, yeah. is where I'm like, wait a minute, like he's pointing some really good points. Yeah, and I would encourage people as they're yeah. considering this excellent resource, Dr. Peter Gentry from Southern Seminary. It's actually Southern Seminary's YouTube channel, and yeah. they have like a 16 minute video where he talks about this issue. Yeah, and he does such a great job in a succinct way. Of clearly laying out an argument for the things that we're talking yeah. about, he I does. He does portray them as like these are the proper approach. Yes. Like he's he. We're coming on the. We're coming into this like okay. These are the different viewpoints. different viewpoints. He he, clearly he goes makes, into that like hey, these are this, the ones. He, he clearly is convinced of his position. Yeah, yeah. And he presents it as such. If that, um, if, which just so happens to be what I've been presenting this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I wonder if because you watch that YouTube no. video and then you're like, all <laughs> yes, right, listen to you. Yeah. But he does a much more eloquent job of talking about it. So I would encourage people to check it out. Yeah. Um, do you have anybody that holds your viewpoint you could reference? Because I don't think you do. Um, about, I'm just kidding. I'm oh, I was kidding. Gonna say, that's, I'm just that's kidding. Like the most. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I, I do think it's an interesting. It's an interesting take. Um, And I think that there was someone that um, brought up an excellent point to consider that if demons possessing individuals created some kind of special superhuman offspring, the question was asked, then why, if the spirit of God, which is of far greater power and authority than demons, Mm -hmm. indwells the believer in Christ, why is it that the believer, when they procreate with the spirit of God possessing them, does not produce even of a greater type of supernatural offspring if the spirit of god within us indwells us and we procreate why would it be true for demons to be able to do something like that but not be evidenced when the spirit of god indwells well i us? mean if you follow that same logic then you know demons are able to possess human body and us with the holy spirit we're not able to possess anybody well the holy it's- spirit did come upon people in the old testament but presently, you as an individual yeah, presently his role is he indwells us permanently so he is possessing us permanently indwells us but but what we're saying is is like to follow that same logic it would apply even to the extent of like what the holy like what the angels or demons do throughout the new testament we should then be able to do it as well do what all that you see them doing like possessing they but have, we're not the spirit of god the spirit of god has the complete authority to be able no, to No, but come what I'm upon. saying is, it's like, if it, if that was logical, then we should be able to do that. Like, the Holy Spirit within us it will empower us to have some certain of special ability. Like, you see, even in, the, even, even, in, even in today's world, you see those are demon-possessed, that they have, you know, you can see that they're abnormal. You don't and, think the Spirit of God has the ability to cause men to do supernatural things? I do that. It, it can. I definitely put it in a, in a box. Yeah, Absolutely. But so what do you, you what is your argument then? Well, what I'm you just saying? saying that like 
It happens. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to revisit we'll have that because I'm confused as to what point you Listen, I, my, what I'm trying to say is to this, is yes. to, so that is clearly yes. stated out there, and I'm going to have five different texts <laughs> about this. This is what I'm saying. Yes. Let me collect my thoughts. Is that the same power, you, your argument is that if... Well, it's not my argument. I'm saying someone presented someone the presented argument. Someone presented the argument yeah. that... If uh, an individual that is demon-possessed will procreate uh, a supernatural thing. Which is what your argument was from Genesis 6, right? Yeah, there's that one. There's yeah. the one that they would say that it was not, whatever. I'm not going to go into, into that. The same will say, and then you're, you're, that person posed a question, well, the same will be true of us as individuals when we are in, embodied by the Holy Spirit that we're able to do uh, the same thing that our descendants as godly men or godly people that they will be greater, you know, will fall on that thought. I would say that even then you don't see that right now. You don't see us being able to do the same things that people were demon possessed are able to do. That it and 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 God's plan for humanity right now. There's order and there is ways that God can do this. Now I'm not putting him in a boss. Can he? Empower someone to do something great, absolutely. I mean, you look in Samson, yeah. the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. He was able to have supernatural strength. Sure. But I would hold the view that right now that is not the way that he most mostly operates. I don't disagree, yeah. but the question was not in regards to what men are capable of doing. The question was in regards to if demons had the ability to indwell someone and procreate a supernatural offspring because they were indwelling them, why then would that same kind of supernatural offspring not be created when the Spirit of God indwells someone? And to that point was that argument that, like, just because they did it doesn't mean that we also have to do it. Because even right now, we will look at example in the New Testament of indwelling of, the, of this demonic indwelling that you don't see it happening with those that have been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That just what, because they did it doesn't mean, mean that we example? have. Like if something supernatural that an, a demon possessed person was able to do, that someone under well, the Well, I will look at the as the men with like I am legion. I don't know where exactly that is. Like Mark chapter five. Yeah, that it has the ability to have all this different uh, legion of demonic presence in, within him that you know make him to lose his mind, make him to be crazy, made him to act in a way that it was unnatural to the point. But that then you Jesus, have an example of. The, the apostles going out under the power of the Spirit of God, casting out those demons, like showing Correct. greater authority yeah. than even the demons had. But right? you don't see them acting like those that were demon-possessed. No, and I wouldn't say that there would be characteristic. I don't think it, this guy was saying that. I think he was saying if there's supernatural offspring created by demons. But what I'm, my argument is just because they did it doesn't mean that we didn't have to do it. Yeah, no, Because the argument is... That they are uh, they, like going back to Judas. That they left their natural, natural present and dwelling. That they're not really working yeah. in under the spectrum or then the the rulership that they were meant to do. Yeah, and I, to I've heard the argument as well. Of if this does that is, make sense now? Does that bring some clarity to does. what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Why don't I, you translate for the audience? So in a in a sentence, essentially. No, what I think we're it saying. makes sense. I think okay. that um, I don't really fully understand your complete viewpoint. Like Neither a, do I. I'm but, like, but I would say the other thing. <laughs> as far as Netflix, I'm trying to figure the, it out. The other too. thing I would I would say I've heard as far the other thing but I would you know, say I've heard as far as argument with <laughs> a supernatural being that was procreated was the concept that how could uh, a supernatural being 
that had supernatural abilities because a demon procreated with an individual, how could those supernatural beings be completely wiped out by a global flood? And, and if they had authority and power that was supernatural, so they didn't operate under the same restrictions as a human being would operate under, how is it that they would be able to completely be wiped off the face of the earth by a global flood? Well, I mean, I think that it, we're not talking about, I think that a good example would have been Samson about someone that had a special ability over everyone else. Like, I don't think anybody that holds that view will say that they were Superman but or I, that yeah, they were Aquaman, say, that, they, that, that they were Aquaman, that they could breathe underwater and yes. therefore survive the flood. But this goes back to where I feel like the argument you're making now is the same argument I've been making, is that these Nephilim were not supernatural-type beings or demigods or whatever. They were mere men, but that were men that obviously stood out yeah, well, the, stature, ar- well, the argument when it comes to super superhuman beings will, will be that they were individuals that were men that had on uh, on uh, what is the word non ordinary abilities Agreed. that that they were Agreed. unique in the way that they would behave so much so that they had a, a specific name title to them. I agree that everybody when they heard the name would bring them to recognition. But I and would I, attribute that to the possession of demons within them, not because they had a special seed where because the demon possessed someone in procreation. But I would I would push it even further to say that it was not exclusively giants, which is like the view that you earlier stated, which is that it's they're giants. They were just giants. Well they were obviously mighty people that were able to do things extraordinary. But the view that many people just hold, or not many people, the view that like the ones about eight Adam and Eve or sorry, Adam and uh, Seth and and Cain is that they were just giants. Yeah, and people, a lot of people hold that viewpoint because the term Nephilim, like the word, means really giant. Be translated giants. But then you have the little caveat where he says these were some men of renown, mighty men of renown. So to me, and it makes then sense consistently that you see in the Bible, mighty men. You see, like Samson would have been a mighty man. Yeah, and I I would distinguish between you and me would be you would hold the viewpoint that it was almost like a special race of individual currently. I don't hold any view as far as I definitely. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like I said, like even when I did my ordination, yeah, I I would I held that view. Hey, the view yeah, of yeah. they Reverend. are they are unique. Reverend. They are unique. They're a unique group of people. Group. Yeah, I got But you. I do think that, like after watching that video, and to wrap this up, uh, he did pose some really good questions, and it make me come uh, question, and then now has yeah. me in a position where I'm no. like. And, and truthfully, back and study it. when our opinions or viewpoints that we hold are not completely founded in Scripture, it's easy to switch them so quickly like yeah. you do. So no, yeah. I'm just kidding. Sure. I'm just kidding. But I think it is something that <laughs> is a good thing for us to transition out to say, hey, whatever it is viewpoint we take, whatever it is we come to conclusions, it should be based upon our study of God's Word. And, and you should be able for, to defend it. There's like, room for disagreement, yeah. right? There's room for disagreement on that, but it should be on the foundation of God's word. And we want to correctly interpret in its context, you know, what was being said. And there are and some recognize, things... Like, let me ask you the question. Do Nephilim, whoever the Nephilim wears, does that affect the plan of salvation? No. Okay. No, I mean, so that's, I, that's the thing that I think that you could... And that's why these things are fun to do. Yeah. They're good to do. I think they're insightful. It causes us to study God's word. But again, these things should never give super, you know, supersede... The message of the gospel, yeah. the clear-cut message of the gospel. And These it shouldn't be a cause of division between Absolute, brothers and sisters. Absolutely not. This is no. 
And we're it's not just we're not divisive towards each other. No. At all. We, we've been having fun with it. We I have, have had fun. I with have it too. Yeah, yeah, I've been able to point out where you're wrong. To. I've been able to point out all the yeah. areas you're wrong. Yeah. So it's been good. I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. If people don't know, like I'm kidding. Like they won't know that. That's you know. Yeah, they should know that. Yeah. So, but I've hey, been, listen. If you have other questions yeah. about other hard passages, <laughs> let us know what they are. Three three zero three three one six four five three. Text it in. Let us know. We're gonna hit another passage next week. Next week. And so tune in. And if, if you, you don't tell things. us which one you, if you don't have any, we'll just pick one. We got, that we, we got a bunch. Yeah, we got we a have bunch a that we'll hit. So. Absolutely. Plethora. All right, hey. Bruce. What is the question we always end with? What is your life like beyond the pew? We hope it honors the Lord. Amen. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Hopefully you'll know what the Nephilims are. Indeed. Next week. We'll see you. Bye-bye.